Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're an American citizen, right? Yeah. Well, right now, you're a prisoner. All right. Okay. When I think about John Walker Lind, I think back to the first time I saw him on TV. He's in pain, in a hospital gown. He's got a dirty face, full beard. He's talking about why he'd been caught fighting alongside the Taliban in Afghanistan. Was your goal to be Shaheed or martyred? A reporter asks, was it your goal to be martyred? It's the goal of every Muslim. Was it your goal, though? Huh? Was it your goal at that time? This was just a couple of months after 9-11. A 20-year-old from California saying he wanted to be a martyr, saying he thought all Muslims did. I'll tell you, to be honest, every single one of us, without any exaggeration, every single one of us was 100% sure that we would all be shahada in any way. But Allah chooses to take a person's life when he chooses. Mm-hmm. We have no control the idea of finding an American over there in this circumstance was not really in the calculations. And so part of what happened with John Walker Lind was sort of like shock. Karen Greenberg is a historian, an expert on national security. I feel like he's a little bit of a ghost to me because I remember so clearly seeing this video of a man with a beard who looks quite young, quite skinny. And that's sort of where my memory ends. Well, that's because that's where our knowledge of him in many ways ends. There are no other images to really have in your mind. It's sort of frozen in time there. So that actually makes a lot of sense. In November of 2001, John Walker Lind was captured by U.S. allies. Lind was held in a fortress. He and the other detainees rioted. And the ensuing battle led to the death of a CIA officer named Johnny Mike Spann. It was the first casualty in the U.S. war in Afghanistan. And when it was found out that Lind was an American citizen, then all of a sudden he became the target of, did you know about this uprising? If so, are you responsible in part for the death of this CIA officer? And the story just got all wrapped together at the same time because, you know, it was the image before the story. I don't think we had much of the story when we saw that image. Was this what you thought it would be? Was, was this the right cause? Or the right it's place? exactly what I thought it would be. Pretty soon after this video was shot, Lind was sent back to the U.S., sentenced to 20 years behind bars. And that's where he's been ever since, until this week. When you heard he was being released, were you surprised at all? What would you think? You know, mostly I was surprised that so many years had passed. <laughs> it seemed like such a long time when he was sentenced. I guess I wonder, when you hear the name John Walker Lind, like, what do you, what do you think about? 
So when I hear the name John Walker Lind, I just feel a little bit of sadness because I think that his story is something that we should have tried to understand at a much earlier stage and that it would have helped us in general for understanding others who might want to go down the path or a similar path that he went down. It's a story that still confuses so many of us in terms of understanding not just what motivated him, but who he is. So today on the show, who is John Walker Lind? Karen Greenberg has been trying to figure that out for years. She says what happened to him had a ripple effect for national security, and we're still feeling it today. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I was struck reading about John Walker Lind. I was like, do we even know what his name is? I've heard him called John Walker. I've heard him called John Lind. It just seemed like there was so much we didn't know. There is a lot we didn't know. When he was first captured, he was referred to all the time as John Walker. When it became sort of a cause, when his father got involved, then we knew him as John Walker Lind. He grew up in Marin County. The way I understand it, he was a rather sensitive individual as a, as a young man. In Raised Catholic, right? Raised Catholic. In his mid-teens, he became devoutly religious as a religious Muslim. The story I heard was that he watched Spike Lee's Malcolm X film. He did. No, that's right. That one of the things that's attributed to his identification with Islam and Muslims was uh, reading the autobiography of Malcolm X. For him, it wasn't just the religion. It was what the obligations the religion put upon you to take care of other Muslims. And when he first went abroad and he went to a school in Yemen, he wanted a more serious religious indoctrination than he was getting there. And so eventually he came home for a little while, then he went back to Pakistan. And it was from Pakistan that I think he met people whose influence led him to Afghanistan. You say when he left, and I think a lot of people are interested in the fact that he left home quite young. It's 16, 17. Because I think a lot of people look at it and they they start looking at the parents and they say, how did you not see him for months? And, you know, you just knew he was getting this education because I was reading your book. You talk about this story where his parents, 
in December of 2001 are sent a photo like, is this your son? And they're not sure. Yeah, Yeah. I think this probably was very hard on his parents. I think to this day, I think about this from the point of view of a parent. Um, How does a parent nurture a child's interests and keep them out of danger and harm's way at the same time? And it's, it's not just his interests. It was his intense desire to bring a form of attention to the oppression of Muslims around the world. But he was doing it by fighting. He was at an al-Qaeda training camp. Right. And the question is, where did that line get crossed when he first went over? I don't think that that, you know, fighting was what, what he was thinking about, but only he knows, right? And that, you know, he followed this passage to Afghanistan. And then, yes, being caught with explosives, being found with the Taliban. This is all um, why he ended up pleading guilty. And the story goes that he met Osama bin Laden while he was there. He came to speak to the people at this training camp. Right, right. That's what that's the story. After he was captured, after we all saw this video of him you know, sort of presenting himself and and looking strange, frankly, and it was hard to know what what to make of it. He comes back to the United States, and it seemed to me like things moved really fast. He went from, you know, captured to he's going on trial, like within a matter of weeks. Yeah. So let me give you a comparison to this. So John Walker Lind comes back in early 2002 to this country and he pleads uh, that summer, right? The, the, the trial was scheduled uh, to coincide basically with the year anniversary of 9-11. So that is a very swift trajectory. Let me compare it to Zacharias Musawi, who originally, uh, though he was not charged with this, was in custody and considered to be the 20th hijacker, right? And so he had been in custody since August of 2001. One and he was quickly, you know, moved through the federal system, taken into the system. And his trial happens, I think, five years later. So, just to give you a sense of how fast this was, I just, you know, Musawi's was unusually long because of some very um, difficult complications uh, that had to do with um, torture of witnesses. But still, this was extremely fast. You're absolutely right. So you're saying Zacharias Musawi took five years to get him through the justice system. Yeah. With John Walker Lind, it was more like six months. Yeah. It was extremely fast. There was the the constant pressure of the CIA officer who had been killed, whose father, Johnny Spann, was trying very hard to have uh, Lind charged with the death of his son. And so there was a lot of pressure on the prosecutors as, as well to bring this to trial, to make this, in a way, a kind of showpiece of how the United States could deal swiftly and effectively with those who associated with al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Right. John Michael Spann, he went by Mike Spann. He was the CIA officer who was killed in a prison uprising where John Walker Lind was found. Yeah. And we should say that the evidence tying Mike Spann to John Walker Lind, it's murky at best. We know that they were in the same place. We know that Mike Spann interviewed John Lind, and we know that Mike Spann died Do we know much more than that? No, but we do know that there wasn't enough evidence to bring a charge and that Judge Ellis, who was the presiding judge in the case, said there was no evidence to this effect. And it's interesting because 
John Walker Lind, he was moving through the justice system at this time when the Bush administration was debating, what do we do with people like him? Where are we putting them? You know, Gitmo was sort of beginning to be an idea that folks were talking about. There was even some conversation about maybe that's where John Walker Lynn should go, right? Right. Well, the question was, you know, who could be an enemy combatant, right? You're right about the timing. At the same time, November is when the executive order called a military order laid out what was going to be done with individuals brought into detention, you know, captured in the war on terror. And it was aimed at foreigners. That was the idea. But then two weeks later, John Walker Lind is captured. And so the question is, how does he fit into this? He doesn't fit into this. At the same time that he comes back to the United States, Guantanamo is opening. Guantanamo opens in January of 2002 and has its first prisoners brought there very early in the year. But we weren't putting Americans in Guantanamo. The United States has a very strong record of using the federal courts to try uh, terrorism suspects, whether they're Americans or non-Americans. This was how we had dealt with al-Qaeda for years prior to 9-11. So it's not really surprising that they put John Walker Lind into the federal court system. But it does raise something interesting, which is a question that has plagued terrorism trials both in the United States and at Guantanamo uh, since the since you know 9/11 which is how do you combine the federal court system and charges that take place within the battlefield hmm. it feels to me like John Walker Lind came around at this time when Americans were really wanting someone anyone held accountable 9/11 had just happened those hijackers were dead. And then you have Mike Spann's father crying out for justice. And so that time after John Walker Lind comes home is really this time of a lot of, you know, public relations on both sides and a real fight over what this man's detention is all about. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And he becomes sort of the lightning rod for so much that is yet to be decided uh, and so much of the emotion that is swirling around, wanting some kind of accountability, want, wanting some kind of answers. So then after a few months of this back and forth and people wondering what's really going to happen, John Walker Lynn, please, I, I wonder... As someone who is watching this, were you surprised that all of a sudden this dissolves into a plea deal? No, it's not surprising. I think the emotions were so high. The stakes were so high. The idea was that this was going to be a much lower sentence, even though it is a very high sentence. He got 20 years. He got 20 years. That's a high sentence. The The average sentence for al-Qaeda and ISIS, actually, convicts, has been somewhere around 14 years. Hmm. Um, so just to give you a sense of the range, he got 20 years. That's a lot of time, you know? Took him from his 20s to he's almost 40, right? But the calculation on the other side for the government was, I mean, this is what we think, is that the plea was late in the night 
before a suppression hearing was supposed to occur. And the suppression hearing was to talk about whether or not the way John Walker Lind had been treated while in U.S. custody was so abusive that we really had to throw out many of the things that he had said during his uh, interviews by law enforcement. Mm. Um, so that was the context of when the plea was made. And I think that explains a little bit why he got such a high sentence, given the passions of the time, but also why the government was willing not to go through with this trial, even though it was could have been such an important trial for the nation. I just have to mention here, and I think it's worth mentioning, there are people who committed 9-11. You know, we know their names. We knew their names in the 9-11 Commission report. They are currently at Guantanamo. They have never been tried. And so when you really think about how much fell on this case, and we've never really had the case that is about what was done to this country, it sort of tells you how off the rails so much of the post-9-11 response has been. Hmm. So you're saying the first problem is that there wasn't enough evidence to sort of prove what John Walker Lynn did, especially because there had been conversations about treason, there had been conversations about holding him responsible for Mike Spann's death. But you're also saying that this plea deal, it sort of protected us from talking about all the things we were doing right. in Afghanistan. Right. And and that could have changed things. There are so many things that if we had done this trial or known more about this case, we could have changed, number one, the way he was treated, what we were willing to do to our own and what we ended up creating a policy for to do to others, which, by the way, that policy was being developed right during the time of John Walker Lynn's pretrial custody and hearings. What do we know about how he was treated? Well, we know that he was interrogated with that bullet wound in his leg. We know that he was kept in one of those tin containers that they kept individuals in in Afghanistan that we've read about other times. And there's more that we don't know. Why is it significant that we weren't discussing this at this particular moment in time? Because it could have established the line that we it's very important how we treat those in our custody, whether they're Americans or non-Americans, because A, it can compromise a judicial proceeding, and it may have caused the kind of public outcry to say, no, th- we're not going to do this. There are ways to try people. We've been trying terrorists for decades. We know how to do this, and we don't need to torture and abuse them. And it could have, it, we could have had that conversation then. So that's, that's one thing. Hmm. What has John Walker Lind been doing for the past 17 years in Terre Haute, Indiana? He has become an even more serious scholar of Islam. He thinks of himself as a scholar, always did. He challenged Terre Haute Prison, where he was asking for reforms that had to do with honoring practice of prayer. And he got what he asked for, um, for the most part. He's being released early for good behavior. So that's something. But then there have also been these reports that he supports global jihad and ISIS. And I, I wonder what you make of those. Yeah, the National Counterterrorism Center was reported two years ago in a, a article about having concerns about his radicalization as opposed to his religion. And um, they never really showed any evidence for it. 
And then NBC News released some correspondence uh, between a reporter and uh, John Walker Lind, in which he does say, these are in 2015, when he does say very clearly, writes, I think ISIS is doing a good job. I think armed conflict is the way to resolve the way Muslims are being treated. Isn't that how he got into this situation in the first place? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot of it is the rhetoric of not the ISIS part or the terrorism part, but the idea of oppressed Muslims. So, but there's a difference between talking and being a terrorist. And I think, you know, a defense attorney would very rightfully say that. And what they would say is, we got to give him a chance. He served his term like any other criminal in the system. We have to trust our system and we have to trust law enforcement and intelligence agencies. If they've released him with the kind of restrictions they released him with, if he does something that's of concern, we will be paying attention. And I think that's fair. Talk to me a little bit about the protections that have been put in place. Like, what is his life going to be like now that he's been released? So he's being released in Virginia, as opposed to in Marin County, where he grew up. In other words, in the jurisdiction of the court in which he was convicted. And um, he won't be able to, you know, be on the Internet. You know, anything he does in that way would have to be highly supervised. My guess is he'll study Islam, and he may continue to write and to think and to talk about these things, hopefully in a way that is, does not support terrorism and hopefully in a way that does not support violence. Hmm. You know, you sound really empathetic towards John Walker Lind when you talk about him. Yeah, that's, I know. Why? <laughs> you know, it's a really, really good question. I think there are a lot of amazing young individuals in our society who don't fit the mold and that we don't take care of them and we don't know how to nurture them and to say, you are so different. And because you're so different, we have to find a way to make that blossom. And we don't know how to do that. We're not good at it. And it just makes me so sad. Hmm. It should make me cry. <laughs> I think a lot of people would see this really differently. They would see this writing that John Walker Lind has done while he's incarcerated, and it would make them feel a little scared. Right. But the John Walker Lind I'm concerned with is the John Walker Lind who originally went abroad. And, you know, you asked me what my sympathies about this were. And because that's where they come in. Yes, you can be concerned, but you can't condemn somebody because you're concerned. You can condemn somebody because they take an active step to do something that violates the law. Hmm. He went to prison and now he's out of prison. And I, I think he should be given the chance and he can screw that up. But it would be good if he didn't. Karen Greenberg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. Karen Greenberg is the director of the Center on National Security at Fordham University School of Law. And she wrote a book called Rogue Justice, The Making of the Security State. That is the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Thank you so much for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts, log on, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We're checking it out, and it helps other people find us. All right, that's it for today. Have a great Memorial Day weekend. We'll talk to you Tuesday. It 
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.